Hello, hello, I'm Rosalind One, and I'm excited to bring you my first podcast. I've been loving being on Substack. It's been such a great experience so far in terms of resources for writers and using the new platform. And Substack just seems to really care about the success of all their writers, so it's been super cool. I'm still navigating my way through being a mom, homeschooler, and part-time staffer at my church, and now founder, writer of Becoming Childwise. And I just wanted to thank those of you who have subscribed to my free newsletter and supported me through the very early stages of Becoming Childwise. While I have started it as a newsletter, God willing, I'd like to see it grow into a community for parents, homeschoolers, but especially for children ministry directors everywhere. But in particular, the East Coast, where the networking and resources for children ministry directors seem to be a little lacking. To start us off, I wanted to share a reading from John A. Yoon's Everyday Talk, Talking Freely and Naturally About God with Your Children. I recently wrote a newsletter based off a chapter that I read from Yunz's book. I received permission today from Shepherd Press to do so, and I hope you will be blessed by this reading. Chapter 6, Big Sins, Little Sins, from Everyday Talk, Talking Freely and Naturally About God with Your Children, by John A. Yunz. Everyday Talk, Everyday Listening, Everyday directions, these activities define your parenting style. They reveal whether your parenting is ordinary or holy. What is important to you will dominate your thinking. The way that you talk and listen and give directions shows what is important to you. Are the things that are important to you also important to God? This is an easy way to summarize what it means to be holy as opposed to being ordinary. If your mind is focused on what the world says is important, then you are ordinary. However, if you are focused on what God says is important, then you have taken a vital step towards holiness. When you are continually trying to line up your priorities with God's priorities, your everyday talk will be transformed into everyday talk that pleases God. We have already discussed how to give direction and how to respond when your children sin against you. Perhaps by now you are thinking, Okay, I know to speak pleasantly. I know I should always respond to love. I'm sorry, respond in love rather than impatience and anger. But God did punish the Israelites eventually. They did have to suffer for their rebellion and disobedience. When do I finally get around to consequences and discipline? Good question. To answer it, let's back up a little. A holy response to your child's sin is not a substitute for discipline. Rather, it is simply the way you talk when you discipline. It enhances discipline. It enables you to exercise discipline most effectively. An ordinary, exasperated response clouds the discipline issue because it focuses at least some, if not all, the attention on the parent's reaction. The child is busy avoiding his parent's wrath, either literally or figuratively, In contrast, a holy, self-controlled response goes right to the heart of the problem, the child's sin against God, and forces him to deal with that issue. You cannot discipline properly until you see yourself as God's agent to your kids. Both you and they are accountable, first of all, to God. Let me say it again. One, your children are accountable to God for their obedience to you, 
and two, you are accountable to God for raising your children to fear him. Therefore, your focus and discipline is to hold your children accountable to God. Those two facts should control your parenting priorities. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. This is basic training. Most Christian parents will not argue with this. However, more often than not, parents do not enforce this command consistently, either from ignorance or to serve their own convenience. To the extent they are inconsistent, they do not help their child grow in obedience and love to God. When do I discipline? What issues are important enough to discipline for? And what issues do I overlook? Many parents struggle with this question because they have no consistent basis for discipline. The question comes up again and again. Let me illustrate what I mean. In this example, four-year-old Andrew is running through the house. Michelle is on the phone as he flies by the kitchen table. He stumbles, piling into the table and knocking off a plastic cup full of water. Michelle picks him up, makes sure that he is okay, and tells him not to worry. It was only water that spilled. He smiles. Michelle smiles, gives him a pat on the head, and resumes her phone conversation. Even though Michelle told him not to run through the kitchen a million times before, she doesn't mention that to him this time, after all, it was only a cup of water, and she's in the middle of a conversation. The next day, Michelle is again at her kitchen table talking on her phone. This time, however, she's cleaning her fine crystal stemware. Andrew again races through, stumbles, piles into the table, and knocks a piece of her fine crystal to the floor, where it shatters. Andrew looks up with a small smile, expecting the same result as yesterday. Instead, Michelle hangs up the phone and angrily tells Andrew that he has really done it this time. How many times have I told you not to run in the house? Now look what you've done. Do you know how expensive that was? Andrew starts crying. He is confused. Yesterday what seemed to be the same thing was treated as if it didn't matter. Today, he is a monster. Yesterday, a little sin was overlooked. Today, a big sin is punished. Big sins, little sins. What was the difference between the two events? The first time, the only apparent damage was spilled water. Certainly, nothing to engage in discipline over. The second time, the damage was a shattered piece of treasured crystal. But think about this with me. What was the real sin? Was it not Andrew running when he was told not to? Yet Michelle is concerned enough to discipline only when a major loss of crystal occurs. You see, the wrong comparison here is the shattered crystal and the spilt water. Both are the results of Andrew's disobedience and Michelle's failure to require obedience. Ordinary things are too important to Michelle. Whatever is important to God is holy. If you distinguish this, way between little sins and big sins your thinking is not holy but ordinary god does not have a category of big sins those which a parent gets really upset about and little sins those which a parent will usually ignore god wants to be loved and obeyed at all times not just when the consequences seem great to us you must discipline your children every time they are disobedient 
As God's agent, you do not have the right to excuse or ignore disobedience. God requires you to bring up your children in the fear of the Lord. You may not make obedience a trivial or occasional issue. When a child deliberately disobeys, you have no choice but to exercise discipline out of love for God and love for your child. You can easily see how this big sins, little sins mentality profoundly influences your everyday talk. Since the first incident was about spilled water, nothing really registered on the parents' radar screen. The phone call was important, but in reality, what was of greater importance was that Andrew was disobeying his mother and therefore God. Remember Ephesians 6.1, by running where he was told not to. If Michelle had been concerned about the seriousness of disobedience, Andrew would have been disciplined the first time, not for spilling the water, but for running when he was not supposed to. Perhaps the second incident with the shattered crystal would never have happened if Andrew had been properly challenged the day before. It is dangerous to judge the seriousness of a sin by the consequences. Andrew was being equally disobedient in both circumstances, yet the first time, when the consequences were minimal, there was no rebuke, only a smile, and hey, no problem. Perhaps mom even gave herself a pat on the back for being so patient and kind and not getting upset. In the second circumstance, consequences were substantial, and so was Andrew's discipline. Yet Andrew's sin was no worse the second time than the first. He ran when he was not supposed to. Big sins or little sins? If Michelle had been seriously concerned about Andrew's obedience, she would have seen the running as a big deal. The conversation that Andrew's mom had with him immediately after each incident is an example of the profound importance of everyday talk. In both situations, she did not really think much about what she said. She reacted with speech that was consistent with what was important to her. The first time the phone call was most important and spilled water was not important. Therefore, her everyday talk reflected those priorities. Let's make sure Andrew's all right so I can get back to the phone call. If training Andrew to love God had been the most important thing, then she would have seen the running as a big deal and gotten off the phone to confront the discipline to discipline him about his disobedience. Her immediate reaction revealed that what was important to her. Such incidents demonstrate whether the big sin, little sin mindset is at work. In the second incident, Michelle was angry because of the cost of the crystal. Her immediate words to Andrew reflect that value. But as valuable as crystal is, it pales in comparison to the value of loving God with all your heart. Andrew was dishonoring God by disobeying his parents' direction. Andrew's mom was dishonoring God because she did not help Andrew see the importance of discipline, obedience. Her everyday talk exposed her values. Andrew will likely remember this event as a time he got in really big trouble for breaking the crystal. However, of greater importance is the fact that Andrew was not loving God by obeying Michelle. The real sin in this scenario was lost amidst the pieces of shattered crystal. The consequences of sin are not always quickly known. Some consequences are immediately predictable, like jumping out of an airplane without a parachute. 
but most of the time, the consequences are harder to discern. If Andrew decides to disobey and run, he can't really know if he will spill water or break crystal or be undetected. The danger is to decide based upon which consequence is most likely. If Andrew thinks he might break some crystal and get in trouble and decides not to run for that reason, he has not made a decision to love God, but rather to protect himself. This is not the everyday obedience that God desires. It is self-interest. It doesn't take too much imagination to apply this example to other situations. If you think you might get a speeding ticket, then you probably won't speed. If you think that by speeding you can get to work on time, then you might speed. Making a decision on these two factors alone is not serving God. It is serving yourself. This is an example of big sins, little sins mentality. Let's try another example. Kevin, a young teenage boy, has an opportunity to be alone with Tiffany, a girl from school with a reputation of being sexually active. If he thinks he might get caught alone with her and his parents will find out, or that he might get a sexually transmitted disease from this girl, he might decide not to be alone with her. However, suppose this successfully suppose she successfully entices him into thinking that no one will find out see Proverbs 7, and that a little fun never hurt anyone. He might be persuaded to be alone with her. This is an example of the big sins, little sins way of thinking. In both of these examples, the consequences are influencing the actions. What is the best way to love God is not even a consideration. Parent, when you discipline for big sins and overlook little sins, you are setting a bad example for your children. You are teaching them, by your own example, to obey only when it seems necessary to them. You are teaching them it is okay to disobey if they don't get caught. You are showing them that pleasing God is not really very important, certainly not worth much inconvenience or self-denial. One day, four-year-old Andrew will become 14-year-old Andrew. What will keep him from falling into the trap of sexual, sexual temptation? If he is only choosing his actions based upon how serious he thinks the consequences will be, he is a sitting duck. When temptation is teasing and luring him, he will gamble his life that the consequences will be only spilt water, not broken crystal. But if he is thinking of what will please and honor God, then he will receive the protection his holy sort of thinking provides. Proverbs 6, 20-24 teaches you this way of thinking. My son, keep your father's commands and do not forsake your mother's teaching. Bind them upon your heart forever. Fasten them around your neck. When you walk, they will guide you. When you sleep, they will watch over you. When you awake, they will speak to you. For these commands are a lamp. This teaching is a light, and the corrections of discipline are the way to life, keeping you from the immoral woman the smooth tongue of wayward wife. Proverbs 6, 20-24. Big sins, little sins, thinking will not offer the protection these verses offer. Your everyday talk must reflect a deep concern for loving and serving God through everyday obedience. 
If you show your children that your decisions are based upon the seriousness of consequences, you will le lead them into the big sense, little sense way of thinking. If Andrew learns that he is really loving and pleasing God by obeying you, by not running in the house, then he will be protected by his love for God and his word. This mindset is the result of everyday talk. Day after day, year after year, that presence pleasing God as the highest goal, that presents pleasing God as the highest goal and desire. Your instruction to your children about how to live in your home day by day must reflect your deep concern to honor God. In Deuteronomy 6, God says that the things of God are to dominate your thinking. You are to impress his commands on your children by talking to them every day with these commands that should get your attention as a parent. When you give directions, it should not be for selfish reasons. For example, I want the house to be quiet so I will teach the children not to run inside. Rather, you should be persuaded that a particular command will help your children learn to be to honor God. Your reasoning might be like something like this. A quiet house will help all of us be more orderly and show consideration for others. Also running in tight quarters might be dangerous. I know these things are pleasing to God, so we will make a rule that we will not run in the house. If this direction is disobeyed, it is a serious matter because God is not being honored. In the example of Andrew and Michelle, running was not treated as a big deal. It was a good rule for the house, yet the command was not enforced until a bad consequence happened. You should make your rules thoughtfully and carefully based on biblical principles of behavior and then enforce them consistently. It is better to make a few basic rules that you enforce rather than have too many rules to keep up with. How do I discipline? This is often the next question after. When do I discipline? This book, however, is about talk, everyday talk. A number of important aspects of child rearing are outside the scope of this topic. While I am tempted to discuss the how-to of discipline, I will not do so here. Instead, I refer you to several books that address this particular issue in a biblical and practical way, Christian Living in the Home by J. Adams. Teach Them Diligently by Lou Priolo. Without Not Correction, Withhold Not Correction by Bruce Ray, and Shepherding a Child's Heart by Ted Tripp. Let's look at the one more biblical passage that contains a shocking example of a defective view of sin. Let's look at Matthew 19, 16 to 22. And someone came to him and said, Teacher, what good thing shall I do that I may obtain eternal life? And he said to him, Why are you asking me about what is good? There is only one who is good. But if you wish to enter into life, keep the commandments. Then he said to him, Which ones? And Jesus said, You shall not commit murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. The young man said to him, All these things I have kept. 
what am I still lacking? Jesus said to him, If you wish to be complete, go and sell your possessions and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come, follow me. But when the young man heard this statement, he went away grieving, for he was one who owned much property. NASB What kind of young man was this? According to his own testimony, he was rather a good young man. He began the conversation with Christ by asking what he could do to obtain eternal life. It appears from the text that his interest in eternal life was focused on consequences rather than loving God. The young man had reasoned that heaven is far more desirable than hell, so he wanted to know how to obtain heaven. Jesus addressed the heart of his concerns. Jesus said, if you want to enter into life, keep the commandments. The young man most probably answered with eagerness as he asked, which ones? He knew that he had kept the outward form of all of them. He was blind to the goal of the commandments, which is loving God with all of one's heart. In any event, he was most likely thrilled with Jesus' answer because he thought he had kept them all. He had been a child and a young man when he had been outwardly obedient. He answered with a telling confidence. He had kept them all. Now if he had attempted to keep them from the heart as Jesus defined them, he would have realized his failure to obey the law. He, and probably his parents as well, had made the law ordinary. They had bought into an interpretation of the law that made it achievable. This young man had figured out what big sins should be avoided. He thought himself to be quite holy. However, in God's eyes, he was quite ordinary. In his misplaced confidence, he offered a challenging appeal to Christ. What else do I lack? Christ's response ended his self-confidence and exposed his focus on consequences rather than on the true obedience. Christ exposed his lack of love for God and showed his self-love. Jesus said that what he had to do was to sell all that he had and give it to the poor and come and follow him. Such a simple thing to do. Sell everything, give it to those in need, and come and be with Jesus. Yet the consequences of this request were too much for the young man. He was rich. He would have to give up the com- he would have to give up the comforts and the prestige that he loved. The consequences were too much to bear. He left Jesus grieving as he went. He had followed the form of faith, but not the reality of faith. Loving God was not his reason for keeping the commandments. If loving God had been the true reason for his obedience, then Christ's words would have brought him great joy. He could have gained the daily presence and companionship of Christ. Instead, he grieved because he had too much to lose. The consequences were unacceptable. The rich young ruler was quite ordinary after all. Parent, how hard would it be for you to have a son like this rich young ruler? He would be respected by everyone. He would have a reputation as a fine moral young man. He would be respectful to you, his parents. He would make wise use of his wealth. Everyone would compliment you on your fine, successful son. They would wish their children were as obedient as your son. How hard would it be? 
Do you see the danger? Yes, he appeared to be the ideal son, but this young man valued consequences over loving God. When he encountered the living Christ, he turned away towards hell rather than give up what he thought he had. In his mind, this young man had committed only little sins, not big sins. He had always made the safe move. Obedience was good because it made his life easier. He loved the good consequences rather than the good God. Do not wish for your children to be like the rich young ruler. Don't settle for pleasant consequences and a good report from the world. No one is really that good. Everyone sins and fails. Rather, teach your children by the powerful weapon of your everyday talk to turn from their sin to Christ. Hold out for them the goal of a heart that loves Christ more than the pleasures and good consequences of this life. Ask God to help your everyday talk to reflect love of God more than love of good consequences. Big sins, little sins, thinking shows sin as a matter of good or bad consequences. This kind of thinking is self-pleasing and leads to lack of love for God and his word. See this for what it is. Examine your everyday talk to see if it reflects love for God or simply a reaction to consequences. Examine your life and language to see if you have bought into the big sins, little sins mindset. If you have, turn your eyes, your heart, your life to Jesus. Repent and ask him to help you change. Ask for the wisdom and strength to love him with all your heart. Thank you, everyone. That was a reading from Everyday Talk by John A. Yunz. Until next time.